Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hey everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands, and today I'm joined by Todd DiMatteo, one of the co-founders of Good Word Brewing and Public House. Thank you for joining me, Todd. Well, Chris, I appreciate you uh, having me on. Excited to be here. Well, you came highly recommended by multiple people to have as a guest uh, because they talked you yourself up and your beer. Um, and then after trying your beer at uh, Kushwa's anniversary party and getting to meet you, I agreed with them and knew I had to have you on. So it, the pleasure is all mine. Well, thank you very much. That means a lot to hear that my peers are uh, are enjoying what we're doing and liking me as a person. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's always good to hear that nice feedback. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, I've got them on payroll. Those guys you mentioned, yeah. uh, not by name, but yes, they are all. They they did mention their 20s. paychecks. <laughs> <laughs> um. So f- I want to do a. R- we'll, we'll talk in uh, depth about it later. But I want to do like a quick rundown of some events that are happening close to now. And I think we should real quickly give uh, Little Beer Festival like at least any like date, time and stuff you want to say now. I'll um, okay, yeah. talk about the couple festivals that are real close in this area. And then we can dig into um, Good Word Brewing and all that. Yeah, sounds good. So Little Beer is an event we put on last year uh, on June 5th, and we actually uh, pulled it together in about seven weeks. We had to you know, get the city's approval and all this kind of stuff. Typically, you have to be like way ahead on their calendar like from the previous year, but they had an event fall off. So anyway, we pulled it together in less than uh, two months, and we had 50 or so breweries from around the country. And kind of the gist of Little Beer is to celebrate, you know, little uh, – smaller ABV beers, you know, your lagers and English beer and, and, and that sort of stuff, you know, mixed firms that are small. Um, because, you know, most times when you have a fest, it's like, oh, return of the juicy thing, or like, hey, it's a big, dark event. You yeah. know, now there's room for all those uh, sorts of beers and events. But, you know, we wanted to have something a little different. Um, and it's somewhat unique. I, I do know that there's lots of people out there who uh, do lager events, especially now I'm seeing more and more, which is great. But, uh, Tim at Oxbow does one and has with Firestone Walker for you know a while now called Pills and Love, but um, so it's not get to like some crazy original idea. But anyway, we wanted to host that event in our little town up in Duluth, Georgia, which is a suburb of the of Atlanta. Um, so we're about forty minutes of, uh, north of the city. But anyway, we had all these beers uh, from these amazing brewers, and um, basically asked every. Uh, attendee to bring uh, one pell lager and one beer that's five and a half percent ABV or lower. Um, and people showed up and showed out. We had a, had a blast. I mean, out of all the breweries, I think we only had maybe eight, not be able to come, which is understandable, of course, with COVID and all that, but it was awesome. I mean, we only, you know, sold 200 tickets, which was the goal, uh, which was great. So it was the brewer to guest ratio was kind of crazy. And it was, (laughs) you know, one of the first, uh, events, um, you know, I don't want to say post COVID cause we're not post COVID, but, um, you know, after it all had kind of started, um, and it's an outdoor event, so it was a little safer, but anyway, we're doing it again this year. And, and this year we're doing it, um, on the town green. So we're moving it just slightly from our, you know, 
front courtyard area, whatever you can call it, to the town green, which is more of a space. There's a nice amphitheater theater there. We'll have a reggae band and a DJ. And we'll probably have around 60 or so breweries this year. And, you know, we have a lot of breweries. Most of the breweries that came last year are, are returning, and we've got a lot more um, folks who are joining us this year, and I'm super excited. We'll have a uh, general mission. We'll do a VIP as well. And the VIP will be like, you know, stuff like Canteon, Drake Fontaine, and, uh, and uh, <clears throat> you know, some big stouts and barley wines and stuff like that too. And you'll get like a commemorative class for VIP and food and all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, it's coming up quick, man. It's, you know, we're announcing breweries on our – at Good Word Brewing, but we're I created a little um, Instagram just for the event. And it's uh, – that little beer, it's got some underscore in there, but at little beer event. Um, so follow that to see who's popping up. I'm kind of teasing brewers as we kind of move forward, but the tickets go on sale, not this Friday, but the following Friday. It's uh, February 11th um, at noon via Osner. So if you ha- don't have the app, you can download it there and subscribe to us and, and all that. But yeah, that's a little beer. It's going to cool. be a fucking good time. <laughs> nice and we can we can go into a little more detail of it later on if you want uh yeah yeah and but so we have that coming up this summer uh well i guess late spring or i don't know what yeah you want to call nice. that yeah yeah i guess that's definitely that's solidly spring um yeah uh so also coming up saturday february 12th i had these gentlemen on last weekend last week um the Too Hot for Graham, put on by Beer Discovery and Imprint, Imprint Beer Company. It's on Saturday, February 12th at the Imprint Beer Company's Hatfield location. I'm hoping to go up to do that. That's just outside of Philadelphia for that area. Uh, and then in my own backyard, there's the Hyperlocal Brew Fest at the Frederick Fairgrounds. Uh, that's on Saturday, February 19th, 12 to 7 p.m., and if you go to Rockwell Brewery's uh, Facebook page, you can get all the information on that and tickets. So it's, it's cool to see more and more things popping up after. Um, I guess there, there was a decent amount of events last year, but this year it seems like everything's going to be back in more full force. Yeah, it seems like that for sure. So now most importantly, let's talk about Good Word. Um First, let's start. Uh, what uh, What's your background? What were you doing before you decided to uh, start up Good Word? Um, so I worked in restaurants for a long, long time. Um, I'm 42. I turned 42 in December. And I've been working in restaurants since I was around 17 or 18 years old. So I did that for a long time and uh, worked at a really well-known beer bar called Brickstore Pub. Started there in 2005. Um, and just, you know, a little before that, I kind of fell in love with beer. I was living in a town in North Carolina that I'm sure all your listeners have heard of Asheville, North Carolina. But when I was in Asheville, it was not the beer Mecca it is today. It was definitely a really cool town with some great beer. Um, Highland was there. Um, and they were honestly my favorite at the point, but I had just gotten into craft beer when I was there. I think I was in my early twenties, so 22, 23. Um, and started drinking <clears throat> Highland, uh, Gaelic and Mocha and, and, uh, 420. And I was drinking Guinness. I thought I was done finding craft beer. I was like, holy <laughs> shit, this is it. I found it all. I don't need anything else. And then when I moved back into, uh, Atlanta, um, my, she was a girlfriend's out of my now wife. Uh, I was like, you gotta check this place out, Brickstore Pub. And I finally went there. It was 
busy as hell on like a Friday or Saturday night. And I remember looking at their beer list and it was like, holy shit, it was fucking crazy. There was so many pages to this beer list and I didn't know what was a draft or what was a bottle. And I think I'm having like uh, the same beer, you know, instead of, you know, I was kind of insecure about what I knew. I was like, I don't fucking know what all this shit yeah. is. And <laughs> I ended up having like three Gonzos that night from Flying Dog and, um, yeah, asked for an application uh, and started working there and worked there for a decade. And it gave me a lot of exposure to craft beer. And, you know, I still feel like even though I've been in in the beer industry for now a while, um, you know, you always have that little bit of naivety. And I feel like I've kept it a little bit. Um, so I'm still a fan of beer. I, I definitely get, you know, I'm, I'm get a little curmudgeon about the styles, I guess, a little bit. Like, you know, we make a lot of classic style beers. We also make some silly fruited sours and big stouts with shit in it, too. But, um, you know, my real love comes from making really well-balanced, like, classic style beers. And anyway, I, I like most folks in the, you know, early 2000s, about 2012 or so, I was all about the West Coast IPA. And then slowly got into drinking those softer IPAs. Um, and, uh, yeah, I started homebrewing, I guess around 2014 maybe. And was fucking terrible at it. And, uh, <laughs> I basically, I focused on fruited sours. Honestly, I would, you know, make all these crazy things. I did like a huckleberry and rosemary. And I remember like throwing this in the um, fermenter and it was just too much sugar and it fucking shot into the ceiling. And it looked <laughs> like there was blood. It looked like a, Quentin Tarantino movie scene on my ceiling in there. Uh, but then, you know, I got, I kind of got really passionate about it. And I guess, you know, for me, just before that, I've been playing music for a long time and like, that was kind of my love. And so I had bands and stuff like that. So I was now taking on a second hobby, you know, I was playing in a band rehearsing two or three nights a week, playing gigs, you know, monthly. And I was a singer, songwriter, rock and roll band or whatever. And and uh, my wife was like, you know, we had two kids at that point. She's like, yeah, pick a fucking hobby. You know, are you going <laughs> to be brewing three days a week and then fucking think you're going to play music this too? So I've been playing music for about 12 or 13 years at that point. So I started winding the band down because I knew that it, to really make that work and, you know, whatever success looks like as a musician, you have to, uh, you know, you have to make a lot of sacrifices and, you know, being a business owner at this point, I definitely made lots of sacrifices for sure. So I appreciate that. But I knew that like to be quasi or remotely successful as a musician, it would mean lots and lots of touring and, uh, away from the family and all that kind of stuff. So I, I kind of already knew that that wasn't going to be my path, you know what I mean? Unless, I don't know, maybe if TikTok was big, then I could have just put a TikTok video up and <laughs> gone viral and then got a record deal, however it should work. But anyway, so I wound down the band and really got focused on home brewing and, and all that. And I built like a, you know, fermentation chamber and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, from a home brewer, I was, God, I was annoying. Um, I would fucking bug every brewer I met or took a tour with or whatever to many questions I could ask them and uh, I was just so passionate about it, you know, and having the relationship with working at brick store, we knew a lot of breweries and I was around a lot of uh, breweries. So we, you know, had some good early exposure to making friends who I probably annoyed the shit out of uh, Tim from burial, Blake from creature comforts and Neil Engelman from uh, now three taverns and a handful of other breweries uh, just really helped me and answered a lot of questions, probably annoyingly. So at some point, but, um, uh, 
you know, I just, I got it in my head that I wanted to open up my fucking group up because I knew restaurants, right? And I'd been working in and running them for a while. And I was like, yeah, I know how to do this. But, you know, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to brew beer. Like for me, it was being able to scratch that creative itch, right? Because, you know, I've been playing music and writing songs and out. I was able to show them using play, right? And so it was a way to, uh, to kind of show a creativity like, hey, I created this. I made this. You should try it. And then somebody actually liked it. Like, oh, cool. That's a response. Like, I made a thing. You tasted the thing. We, we you know, uh, connected in that way. And, um, and, yeah, actually, I would, when I was homebrewing, I was able to put beers on. It's not legal, of course. But I would put on a, you know, a six to on Thursdays. And we'd tap it and kick that night. So it was kind of like a, you know, wink winking a nudge kind of deal like oh, i was a good word keg on how long name. how long did it take uh for your homebrew to get good so we've been open for four years i think we're still getting there um <laughs> i mean yeah you know i don't know um it's hard to say to be honest with you beer is hard man it's, it really is when i hear people say oh it's easy or they equate it to being like a janitor or it's 90 percent cleaning like yeah those things are all true uh in some respect but making good beer is making good beer once is probably you know easy and you get lucky but making really quality beer all the time is never simple and you should i don't know it keeps me up and i and i lose sleep and uh you know i'm ocd about the brewery and all that shit so I guess as far as home brewing goes, it depends on what kind of style. So I think the fruited sours tasted nice, you know, maybe six months or a year in. I don't know. That's when, whenever we started putting them on draft, uh, I knew they were pretty good. I was making IPAs too, and we put IPAs on, and they were they were okay. I was really reading a lot about IPAs, and I remember having Treehouse Lights lights on. It was like a pale ale. Uh, it was like a hazy beer. I was like, holy shit, this is really good, and that's when. As maybe like 2015 or something like that. And that's when I kind of started trying to make hazy beers and stuff like that. Um, I still appreciate those beers. I don't, I don't drink them as much as I used to. I, I find that they all fall in a really sweet category for the most part. Um, but yeah, you know, making English beer and lagers, those all got dumped as a home brewer. They were just garbage. <laughs> um, so I, it took a while. And, yeah. Well, I think of like the two, uh, like the two options that you talked about, where you're going, like going down, like pursuing music, or going the opening a brew pub route. You definitely pick the easier of the two, not work wise, yeah. but I feel like yeah, no matter how good, um, like or how hard you work, success as a musician still relies tremendously on luck uh or like just being in the right place at the right time or there's like there's just a large component of luck to to make it i agree it. but i i think beer is the same way man i really do i don't mean you're getting lucky in the brew house like that yeah a little bit of that maybe but you know there there are so many good breweries out there even great breweries that like no one's ever fucking heard of they're not on you know instagram or if they're on instagram they have a low followership or you know they don't do all the silly Instagram posts with like, oh, look at me pour the gloop into the glop and the bullshit <laughs> of uh, Instagram. And again, again, I'm saying that with, you know, guilt in my heart. If we make fruited sours, I got one back there called Grand Grand. And it's a blackberry cobbler sour thing. I mean, it tastes like it says it should taste. But there are times when I'm like, I want to stop fucking making these. Like, 
I'm, my heart's not in those kind of beers anymore. And I don't know. I just don't want to do a disservice to the folks that we have like cultivated that like those fucking beers. But, you know, am I like, do I want to share a, a thing on Instagram when I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, Grand Grand got an 89 craft beer and brewing. You know, I think I probably did, but it was like the second pay, you know, second swipe yeah. <laughs> to see that. And don't get me wrong, I, I'm in a, in a way proud of all the things that we make. And Grand Grand actually is my great grandmother. She did, and it says on the side of can, I think, but. You know, as little kids, me and my cousins, we would go and pick all these blackberries and come back with these like little purple stained hands and mouths and she, because we'd been eating the, the things off the vine and then uh, she'd make us this cobbler and I was like, you know, let's, let's make something like an homage to her and it tastes like it says it does. Do I reach for that uh, to drink? No. But, you know, it's fine. It's another avenue of people, uh, you know, to kind of find, I guess, craft beer. I I don't know. I um, hear myself say it. I, I don't know. I so feel conflicted because I'm like part of it. Part of what is driving and like really hurting the culture of craft beer is um, this hyper hypey bullshit. And then, uh, you know, these fruited sours and these hazy beers, because what happens is untapped drives that right. And untapped drives retailers. Um, because it seems like on untapped, unless it's a fucking stout or big, thick sour, it can't score above a thing. And so if it doesn't score high, the retailers don't want to buy the thing. So Brewer's like, well, fuck, I guess I'm forced to do this now. And so it's like this snake eating its tail, whatever the fuck that thing's called. It feels like that a lot of times. It's like we have to break out of this three or four styles of beer, you know, like let's, let's make real beer. Uh, and again, I'm not saying there's not a place for those styles, but like, I know, I guess when I think about brews who build their business on gloop and glop and bullshit, it's like, Oh, really? This is what you wanted to do. You, you homebrewed to do this. And that's well, coming from a guy who started making fruited sours as a homebrewer. I, um, I think it's, it's almost like they've become the new gateway to craft beer. Whereas when you and I first started drinking craft beer, it sounds like it was around the same time. Your gateways were pale ales or uh, um, a hoppier pilsner or something like that, like to go from what you were drinking in college to drinking stuff with actual flavor. And now it's fruited sours that are bringing so many more people into the craft beer and then then as that evolves, it then it kind of like circles around to where people have been drinking craft beer for a long time started. Yeah, I agree with that. And I kind of find uh, myself like I've circled all the way back now. It's like sure. what I want to drink is a, a great Pilsner or little beers. Like, so like when you were talking about that, like that speaks to me because the only times like I really would want to drink fruit sour now is if I'm doing that instead of having dessert. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, I think the thing that we have to remember is something that I feel like was the case when I was first getting into this is like education was so important. Like you had to know to be a person of like authoritative beer, whatever the fuck you had to know what you were talking about, whether that meant you had studied, you know, beer at a beer bar, or you'd actually gone down the uh, BJCP route or Cicerone, which is you know, 
somewhat newer, I guess, in the last five to eight years. But I mean, these are all like legitimate ways to like understand and know about beer. But now it's like, well, you can just have a bunch of Instagram followers and then people are gonna listen to you. The thing is, flavor doesn't happen at an ABV level. Like it doesn't have to be eight percent to be flavorful, right? And don't get me wrong, I know that alcohol is a flavor, uh, component of flavor as well. But like a really well balanced beer can happen at two and a half or three and a half percent. Well, I mean, fruited you know? sours are often only four percent, Todd. <laughs> yeah, but when you're talking about something that literally is just a, a vehicle for a flavor, yeah. like a, whatever the fuck they're putting in the thing. And again, uh, I say that with uh, you know us doing those things too. I, you know. Well, so I, I guess mean, I'm playing if you uh, look at my, the middle road here. <laughs> if, you, if you look at my Instagram feed, it's almost all fruited sours. And on, uh, well, I'm not picking on that's where I didn't It, it sounds ahead. like you are, Todd, so we're probably going to cut this I'm short. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then, You're and, like, all right, interview over. Fuck this fucking guy. And, and then, uh, on, um, yeah. then on uh, Thursday, I'm going to full tilt for the canning of my newest collab, uh, which is a pineapple mango crisp with ice cream. <laughs> Pineapple mango crisp with ice cream. What kind of beer is that? Like, is it fruit, a fruit sour? No, it's oh, okay, a fruit. Cool. Yeah, it's a fruited sour uh, conditioned yeah. on pineapple mango, soft serve ice cream, and graham cracker. That's crazy. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it's gonna be delicious. You know, well, it's the third and iteration. I, this one yeah. is where we added ice cream. The first one was just the pineapple mango crisp. It was delicious. You guys um, sat around the table and you're like, you know what's missing? Yeah. Ice cream. <laughs> well, it's more, it. it was more that like <laughs> we, like with each iteration of it, we just want to make it different. So the second one was using candy, uh, pineapple and candy uh, mango, and then this one yeah. we're going back to the fruit fruit purees, added ice cream. Oh, and also made it nine percent instead of wow the okay. normal five. I think the other ones were five percent. Oh wow, well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure people, you know, love that beer, and you guys should be proud of something you've made together and all that kind of stuff. You know, again, I'm not saying beer has to only be this, but I don't want it to just be that. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And that's, I guess, that's my thing. It's like the homogenization of beer styles is a very sad thing. When I look at, like, you know, I go to a brewery and it's like, oh yeah, man, these guys, you got to go check these guys out, and you go there and they have like twelve fucking hazy beers it's like really guys and one throwaway pale lager that you call something quirky it's like get the fuck out of here i feel like that has changed a lot over the last two to three years where there's a lot more variety being put back onto tap lists good where see it more there at least in maryland where like where i'm i usually am going to breweries uh, there's yeah. a lot more West Coasts coming back, a lot more loggers, a lot more even just pale ales um, back yeah. on the tap lists. Uh, but let's take a real quick um, sponsor break, and then we'll get back into the um, how Good Word came to be. Uh, so we will be right back. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations located off of Urbana Pike. Featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. 
Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, are one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. All right, so you decided to, you're going to eliminate the music uh, path, uh, focus on home brewing. That evolved. And what, what what pushed you over the edge that you're like, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. I'm gonna, we're gonna open Good Word. And actually, first let's start. When, when did Good Word open? Uh, we opened in uh, November 28th of 2017. Okay. Um, when did we think it was gonna happen? I, I don't know. I, I kind of got in my mind. I mean, the music just kind of want, you know, it was winding itself down, you know, like it was a lot of work to be honest with you meeting with four other people, you know, arguing and fussing over the song structure, all that kind of stuff that goes along with being in a band. Like it's fun, but like if you're just not feeling it and, you know, having two things were occupying my time along with, of course, my job and my family, it just kind of made sense. You know, I was just, I don't know. I feel like brewing, I just love the process. I love the, uh, the waiting. It was like this, you know, kind of an adventure, you know, in a a way, like, uh, I'm a big home cook as well. So it felt like an extension of cooking, uh, homebrewing that is. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and then there's a gear part of it, which was very much like, you know, playing music. I've started buying a new thing. So I'm going to use this counterflow chiller. Oh, now I got this, you know, uh, uh, guy building the stand for me. I had all this shit. And so before it was all said and done, I spent, you know, several thousands of dollars, like making this really cool homebrew kit and I had this chamber and I was making decent beer for sure. But yeah, once the bug kind of bit me, I, I couldn't turn back. And it was just like this, also the learning aspect. I mean, that's probably the biggest thing for me. Like I really, I think the new thing that you can find that like is rewarding on you know the immediate level right and also you're like learning and it's kind of fun like i'm all in i guess that's how i am about everything like if i don't like completely love something i couldn't care if it's in my life or not there's no kind of in between for me and especially like in brewing you're you're just going to be learning forever because even even though it's like an ancient process and art form people are still constantly developing innovating new, yeah developing yeah. new processes and innovating different ways of doing things so like, even like no matter how long you're doing it there's still new things to learn without a doubt I, I couldn't agree more and that's probably one of the main drivers for me to keep doing it. like constantly feel like i'm learning you know i read a lot of periodicals and you know books on specific styles and stuff like that and i i love it uh yeah definitely keeps me keeps me going so where did the name Good Word Brewing come from? Um, I, I had a really terrible name. It was like kind of dark. 
uh, <laughs> and uh, I didn't really have any partners in the very beginning, except for me and my uh, business partner, Ryan Skinner. We were the ones who were kind of like, this is our brainchild, you know? Um, and we were pitching all these names, crazy ones and dark ones and bad ones, whatever. And um, we say word a lot in text. I know it sounds silly, but we say word. We're kids of the 80s. And I think I was like, let's call it word brewing. And he said, let's call it good word. And uh, it's as simple as, as a text, but for us, it implies like this larger kind of thing, meaning like what you see when you go to like an, an old world kind of pub or like a meeting place of, you know, like-minded people. It's like, what's a good word? It's kind of this like nod to, to tradition and it's about like community and, and stuff like that. Like we look at our brew pub as like a meeting place for people to come and you know, celebrate or, you know, commiserate, uh, all those sorts of things. And so it's a public house, you know, that's kind of what we see. It just felt like an easy way is like a, a word flag, you know, good word. That's what it is. And I, I never thought about it being like a religious kind of thing or anything like that before, but people immediately were like, oh, is it religious? It's like, no, nothing wrong with that. You know, we're fine with whatever you believe, uh, or don't believe. Um, but for us, you know, that was also part of the thing. It didn't have any affiliation with a fucking football team or, <laughs> you know, a religion or any of this kind of stuff. It's just like, this is just a common meeting place for different walks of people uh, sitting over and enjoying beer together and talking about whatever the fuck they want to talk about. I um I really like the the antique typewriter logo also. Yeah, that was like the original thing that we had someone draw up for us, and we liked it. It was kind of really – I don't know which one you're looking at because we had a couple of iterations of it. But. Uh, well, the two right, – is the one you have is your Instagram like profile photo, oh, yeah. and then there's the one on your website that doesn't have yeah. good word written right. on the keys. Yeah, so we had Rachel uh, Eleanor who does all our cans and lots of our T-shirts. She's the one that did the one that's on the Instagram. But the original one was done, and it looks kind of like the guy who did, I forget his name, he was the one that did the uh, books for um, Unrest Thompson, Neither the Flying Dog. It had that kind of real. Ralph Goodman? You know, ra- yeah. Had the crazy, you know, like, ah, you know, got to get this art uh, out. Stedman, not Goodman, uh, Stedman. Stedman, Ralph Stedman, that's correct, yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, so that one was just kind of hard to read. I still love it. We re- reprinted some shirts uh, of that one. Uh, maybe last year sometime they were black shirts but uh yeah you know i have and come from a writing uh, family my uh, grandfather wrote for the um, atlanta journal uh, constitution here in atlanta oh, cool. for a long time and wrote he was a speechwriter for jimmy carter and you know just a lot of people in my family kind of write and I, I write you know a little bit and uh you know you can see when i put up an instagram post and it's a little not well edited but uh <laughs> a little extension of that and uh also the stuff that i write on the side of the cans and, and all that but yeah it's kind of like going back to my um family roots but also the uh, homage to music and uh and all that and we thought about really trying to lean into that niche and like we had all these like literary terms for beer names and shit like that and i was like eh, that's gonna box us in so i just decided not to do it when i was homebrewing like a couple of my homebrew like rescue books have these you know names from you know, like uh, Walt Whitman or uh, Capturing the Rye references, stuff like that. But, yeah, I decided not to do that. 
I um my my wife is an English teacher, and oh, cool. uh, she she had one time we were someplace and we saw one a typewriter like that, and she was like, "I've always wanted one of those." So yeah, when when we were getting married, it popped into my head. That memory popped into my head way too late, um, mm-hmm. and like the it was like the week of. Uh, the wedding that like it, I remembered that it was like that has to be one of her wedding gifts. I went to like yeah. every antique shop local. Uh, no one had one. Uh, yeah. My best man and I were driving up from Maryland to Pittsburgh. That's where I grew up. So that's where um, we were getting married. And we stopped to get gas somewhere and there was an antique shop and we stopped in and they had one as a decoration, but it wasn't for sale. And I told yeah. them the story and they were like, well, I guess we, like, we could part with it. So I thought they were just going to like completely try to <laughs> rip me off. But they, like it was a very reasonable price. Um, and I had just started working at a newspaper a week before the wedding. Mm-hmm. So when I got back um, to to work after our wedding, I had told my boss that like trying to find one of those. Uh, typewriters he's like why didn't you say something we have a storage room filled with them on the second floor i was like oh that would have been a lot easier he's like you could have just taken one <laughs> yeah but you couldn't have the story though yeah. now you got the story so that's cool yeah we have one up front that someone uh made for us and on the keys it says good word oh cool um and it's in like a case like as a host stand and then we've got them hidden throughout the rest. I mean, hidden. They're visibly hidden for sure, but uh, they're kind of spattered around the restaurant. Yeah, we pick them up every now and then. Um. So, what what size uh, brew house did you start out with? When I was homebrewing, or, or with, with yeah, I get so yeah. You you you're still on the original like what you opened with, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so, we're. Uh, so we're just a little over four years and we're still on a, we have a 10 barrel, three vessel system here with, um, six fermenters. One is a uh, 20 barrel, the other five or tens. Then we have matching bright tanks and a, a four head bottle filler and a two head bottle filler. And then we have, um, one of those wild goose gosling. Uh, they're good units, but they're really small and slow, but, um, hopefully doing an expansion. We'll see how that goes. I've got business partners like most folks and, you know, I've got to pitch, these expensive ideas uh, that we may, may come up with <laughs> to them, but it basically take us from around, we did 589 barrels last year, which we could brew more, but you know, we produce about 60 to 70% of the beer we put out is, um, you know, lager and English beer. And, um, you know, so we could produce a lot more of what we're doing if we just did, you know, faster turns, of course. But with this expansion I'm proposing, we would get, um, we would dump some of these smaller fermenters and get, three more or sorry dump some of these smaller bright tanks and get three more 20 barrel fbs four 20 barrel horizontals um a bigger canning line and maybe even a little centrifuge we'll see how it goes you know um but this would take us closer to 2500 barrels and the thing is with this expansion we we i should say i would have my uh, cake and eat two so we could produce lagers that we're doing and the, the beers that we're most proud of and also be able to put out more ipa because you know, even though we don't talk a lot about IPA um, as a brewery, we make, I think, you know, pretty, pretty tasty IPAs as well, hazy and West Coast that sort, but uh, and pale ales and stuff like that. But um, 
yeah, so kind of have our cake and eat it too if we go through this expansion. But costs a fuck ton of money. <laughs> yeah, stainless, always, stainless uh, steel is not cheap. It's not. Um, but yeah, when I first started homebrewing, the first brew I did was on like a little tin, maybe a five gallon pot. I don't even remember, but I quickly got into half barrels um, as my you know three three vessel system, and I was using those MPT fittings and the tape and i was taking the tape off all the time it was so annoying and then i had this welder friend who you know um put on some tri-clamp fittings and then my life changed after that and then i had him build a brew stand and it was a pretty efficient little system um and uh yeah i was brewing as a home brewer at least two usually three to four times a week you know and i couldn't drink all that if i wasn't doing it illegally like i was telling you and selling some <laughs> of that stuff but uh, it was a great way to um, get a lot of experience as a, uh, as a homebrew just with the process. And, you know, um, I kind of had to brew. I, I like, needed to brew. Um, I'd come home from work uh, around 530 and I'd mash in at 6 and brew through most of the evening. Um, and then go to sleep and do it again. You know, like I said, not, you know, I wouldn't usually do it day after day. I would do it, you know, two to four times a week roughly. And we had a couple of friends here, you know, that were local to me. I was living in Decatur at the time, but I could go by and use their, like, you know, pilot system or, or jump on a big brew with them, which was great, you know. Uh, just get a little more experience, so. Um, do you, to expand, do you have to do anything, like, physical location-wise, or is it just equipment? Like, do you have enough space at the building? We have enough space for everything but a walk-in and anybody who's listening to the show that's been here will tell you how tiny our little walk-in is. So we had to go off-site for that. We'd add, you know, off-site walk-in, pretty big one, and then um, maybe some dry storage. We'll have to rent a space somewhere. But as far as all the stainless, we can, we got more room in here, you know. Like, it's not huge. I've got about 2,200 square foot in the brew house. All in, we're close to 9,000 square feet. But, you know, we have a big restaurant, a big kitchen, and we have a huge patio but about 2,200 square feet of brewery space. So if you come in, it's kind of comfortable now, but with the plan, you know, we, we're moving stuff around and like really maxing it out. And again, if we get that centrifuge, which, you know, that's probably the last, the first thing that'll get cut and the last thing that was added. I, I just really love the idea of having, you know, I, I want to logger for six, eight weeks like we do, but I just really like the idea of a crystal clear fucking logger. And I love the things that you can do with, um, a centrifuge and, and uh, hazy IPAs and IPAs in general. Um, and of course, get more liquid out of those things too, because those heavily dry hot beers, you know, you lose so much, they get super expensive. Yeah. How much, uh, how much more efficiency do you gain by using a centrifuge? I mean, a ton. I don't, I don't have the numbers, you know, to, to tell you, but I'd say it's, depending on how much you're brewing, you'd, you'd make up your uh, cost for a centrifuge in probably two or three years, you know, especially if you're trying to use it like a hot side. Mm-hmm. So uh, do you, do you have a time frame for all that to get done or is that still in the early planning stages of it? I mean, it's so first I have to pitch the idea to my partners and okay. make sure everybody's comfortable with it. Cause you know, it'd be a, um, you know, take another loan out of course, um, so we have to, okay. And I think everybody knows that 
um, we're making good beer and, uh, we should go for this, but you know, there's always risk involved when you go grab another loan. Um, and you're still pretty new. Like, like I said, we've only been around for a little over four years. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think if this goes through, it'd be another, it'd probably be 2023, uh, early before we're like producing beer into those new vessels and lagering in those horizontals and canning off that canning line somewhere in there, you know, I'd say nine, nine to 12 months. Lead times are pretty crazy now, two, three to four months on everything. Yeah. The, the half of everything's probably sitting on a ship somewhere waiting to be unloaded still before. That's what they say. Yeah. Um, so your, your focus on, um, traditional more traditional styles uh does that stem from like you're just you want to make the beers that you want to drink or like what is is that why you 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 focus mainly on that yeah i mean i find myself as i've gotten older and i've been around craft beer for a while just kind of like fatigued on on beers being so homogenized and you know like i i, I make beer that i want to drink you know again i we kind of make everything, so it's not like I'm reaching for a 10% barley wine or, or whatever. You know, I make those beers to satiate those folks who, who enjoy those sorts of things. But for me, and if you come and look at the list, you'll see we have 18 or so beers. 80% of those beers are below 5% um, or around 5% or less. And, uh, yeah, those are beers that I want to drink. They're, I also feel this, like... Um, drive to you know pay homage to like history and tradition and when i think about a new style my first thought is i'm like what can i fucking do to change this it's like (laughs) how good can i make this to style you know and so yeah i mean i don't know every now and then i'll take a risk on something but you know i'm not a guy who's gonna make a fruity lager or uh and i'll say never on that and, uh, you know, do something crazy with, um, English beer. I just not super into that kind of stuff. Like, you know, and if people are, that's cool. I just, it's just not for me. I made a pineapple mango Pilsner with a local brewery last year and it turned out phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was subtle, not a, like not a ton of fruit. Um, yeah. but it just, it added a whole nice new dimension to it. Some dimensions aren't meant to be traveled in, Chris. <laughs> but it was, there was, well. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, man. I'm not here to judge. You know, I'm really not. Like, that's, you know, if you guys like that beer and it was great, then I'm sure, I'm sure I'm gonna, it was. I want, I think, if I have any left, I'm going to send you one. Don't I think, you do I, it. Think, I don't want to see that beer in my face. <laughs> I'm sending it. Whether, whether you, in fact, I'm going to relabel, I'm going to pull the label off and put something else on it so you tricked into drinking it. <laughs> man, I'm, I'm definitely the type that, like, I still don't get my, I can't get my head wrapped around like New Zealand and Australia and like try hopped pilsners. Uh, like <laughs> I don't know. Like I'm sure they're really good, but there's just something so bold about those hop flavors that just kind of it's hard to work into the uh, the simplicity and the nakedness of that beer. Kind of just dominates, and so it's, I don't know when things are out of balance. I mean, again, you know, I'm sure there's examples out there that are fucking phenomenal, but man, I, I like a balanced beer where you're like nothing is punching me in the fucking olfactory or the 
whatever the fuck, you know. So, so are you saying when Ingenious and Dewey made their um, churro themed uh, pastry pilsners, you didn't seek them out? I didn't know anything about that, but you know, again, <laughs> if they sold a lot of that beer and they're proud of it, man, more power to them. It it was it was actually really good, and it wasn't. Yeah. I uh it wasn't at all what I had built it to be in my mind. Like it was yeah. it they were they were subtle flavors. Um sure, so definitely yeah. it wasn't like when you call something a pastry salad. It wasn't like that. Um it was it was good. But um yeah. from the little bit sure. that I've gotten to know you, I'm positive you would hate it. I would tell you unequivocally <laughs> I would fucking hate it. But you know, again, I'm not throwing sand in there lotion or whatever uh those guys you know i've heard those names before i'm sure they make phenomenal beer that beer is probably delicious too it's just not for me all right let's take um one more uh quick sponsor break and then when we get back um i guess let's we'll talk a little bit more about good word uh so we'll be right back i buy my beer at district east in downtown frederick maryland They have an amazing selection of local and hard-to-find beers, and I love the option of making my own mix-and-match custom six-pack. District East is on Northeast Street in Frederick, in the same shopping center as Showroom Restaurant and Rockwell Brewery. Most weeks, they have over 950 beers in stock. Check out this week's selection at www.districteastbeer.com. To all you craft breweries, wineries, and distilleries out there, listen up. Atlantic Custom Solutions is the real deal in providing you branded growlers, ceramics, glassware, and accessories like koozies, coasters, and keychains. Their high-definition digital printing, organic ink, and low-fire process ensures your brand is printed in ultra-high definition, giving you a one-up on the competition. We've used Atlantic Custom Solutions for uncapped branded glassware and couldn't be happier with it. Check them out. Visit www.brandmybeverage.com or give them a call at 434-286-4500 to learn more about how they can help you brand your business. McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. So you had mentioned um, you've worked in food service for a long time. Um, you, you're in, it's not just a brewery, it's a restaurant too. Like it's a, a brew pub, yeah. correct? Oh, yeah. What is your favorite beer and food pairing? Favorite beer and food pairing. Hmm. We actually do a lot of dinners that we pair. Um, you know, we do like a five course paired um, thing, and those are probably one of the best ways for us to showcase. Not really. I mean, the beer, you know, because the pairing is the, it's the important piece. But like, show the chops of our um, our chefs. Um, we do those pretty much once a month until it gets to summertime. We take a pause in the summer just because of restaurants already busy and you know it's just too much going on to kind of dedicate time to that um but yeah we actually have one coming up february 24th we're doing a collab beer dinner with uh wheatland spring out of virginia those guys i I have not been there yet 
And I just feel like I am hearing about Wheatland Springs constantly lately. And they're they're yeah. very close to me. I think they're like a 20-minute drive, uh, maybe Holy a half shit, hour. Are you serious? Yeah, they're very they're in Loudoun County, which is like – got to get there, just, dude. I don't know I, that close. Jesus. I know. It's amazing. I'm, like, I'm a horrible I, I, person. I say it's amazing. I haven't been to the actual – no, no. I haven't <laughs> been to the actual farm. But I know John. Uh, John is probably one of the best humans I've ever met. And I've had their beer tons of times. Um, top to bottom, just fantastic. But we, we made a beer here, uh, so we do a welcome beer. So we actually you have six beers, so when you do a beer dinner, the welcome beer is typically the collab beer. Okay. Um, I think this time we're going to use Corn Crib as the collab beer, which is a, their corn lager. But we made a, um, a Czech 10 Play-Doh um, Pilsner, so super small beer. I started at 10.2 uh, OG and I think finished at 10.10, so 4%, you know, nice just crushable uh, Czech Pilsner. I used uh, Epiphany Malt for the first time. Those guys are, we in spring is big into craft uh, malt. I've used some craft malt from uh, time to time, and you know, I, it's I'm, I'm, I enjoy it at times. Um, I'm more of a Vireman person for our uh, lager beer. I use, you know, pretty much Vireman for about 85% of all of our beers, um, even the IPAs. I use uh, Thomas Foster for English beers for the most part. But um, anyway, so I used this Epiphany malt, and I used their Modern Pilsner and their uh, Chit malt. And this beer turned out fucking fantastic. I had some really good sauce. We brought in two for it. And uh, so we'll release that beer. So you get, you know, tickets are like 85 bucks for five courses in the Welcome Beer. And you also get a four-pack of the collab, uh, the Wheaton Spring collab that we we're, oh, we've nice. done. Um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, so my favorite beer, man, I don't really have a favorite. I'll be honest with you. I can tell you some of my favorites. We do a, a beer. I think, uh, I don't know if you tried it at the event uh, for Kushwa's birthday, but it's a beer called Digital Comforts. It's a 3.9% English style best better. Yes, I did. It's really, it's great. Yeah. It's a really nice beer. I, I like all of our English well, not, beers. Not, it doesn't fine. have to be a specific beer. So I'll say like um, yeah. uh, style and food paired together okay so like my answer is a west coast ipa and fish tacos okay cool yeah partially because like remembering um being in san diego and i can't remember the place now but it's just the place i was told like has the best fish tacos in california i like i got i had fish tacos and uh, an amazing west coast ipa uh, and so it's you know, like it's partially that memory of that, but sure, also yeah. like I just love that combination of the the bitterness and the spicy food. And... Yeah, so I'll say, and I'll be very specific about it. Today is February first, Tuesday. It's the first Tuesday that we've reopened on that day since uh, pre-pandemic, and we've got a cask of Analog Life, which is our three point six percent English uh, dark mild. That paired with uh, a pot pie tonight is going to be fucking stellar. Oh, so, that does sound good. It, yeah, English beer uh, pairs well with food in general. There's so much to it, you know. There's they don't all have to be complex. You know, we've got an English porter that that is a little more on the complex as far as the uh, the grist goes, and the mild is also a little bit that the best bitter I mentioned. A little less um, complexity as far as the malt bill goes. It's only um, three grains. And 
it's got a nice bitterness. But then I, I started making an English uh, golden ale or English summer ale, whatever, whatever you want to call it. It's called Holographic Heart. That one is a, a 4.2% all Thomas Fawcett Golden Promise malt with uh, only EKG. And I use a lot of EKG throughout that beer. And that beer is really nice. They're all nice. They kind of fit this like whole gamut of things. You know, you got one that's like dark and quasi roasty. You got one that's like, you know, dark. It's got a lot of, you know, things going on without feeling heavy. And then you got this other, you know, the bitter being great malt port profile and it's got some nice bitterness. Um, and then you have this like somewhat dry or almost like a, I hate to call it English lager, but it's uh, golden now. It's, and there's a 2.6 Play-Doh. It's dry, but not too dry. It's got just enough malt to kind of back up all these uh, great English hops. Ooh, but, uh, I got they're, it. All, they're all bangers. Another one that popped in my head. Uh, yeah. Guinness Draft and Shepherd's Pie. Oh, sure, yeah. That's another mm-hmm. favorite pairing of mine. Yeah. I can see that working pretty well, too. Yeah, Guinness is it's a fantastic low-calorie beer. What? So we're... In your mind, obviously they are a huge macro brand, but Guinness as a beer, do you lump it in more with craft beer or as a macro? I mean, it's macros for sure, but do where do I lump it in? I don't know. I think craft beer as a moniker and a designation of beer has so many like conflicting little things, and I don't even know if it's a thing anymore. Maybe it's just all beer. You know, it's funny. I go to an event. At the end of the event, everybody's like, oh, yeah, I got to get a course banquet beer or miller highlight i'm like man i'd rather drink of and again those beers are fine uh and they're tasty and i drink them but i'd rather have somebody's really well-made fucking local lager beer you know yeah. like that's what i'd rather have you know i'll i'll knock back some high life and i'm not too good for budweiser or anything shit but um yeah i don't know i don't I, I consider guinness like if if i go to a bar and i don't see anything else that's appealing there's a guinness on there i'll fucking buy a guinness for shit yeah they seem like they're i mean business like company wise are obviously like, one of the largest but they're like quality and taste wise i feel like they're more in line with um craft in air quotes because like as you said like that that definition has been so muddied and changed over the years what does that even mean anymore yeah i mean <laughs> one thing you're gonna find with all these macro brands is consistency you know that's something that in the quote unquote uh, craft beer world, we struggle with, you know, it's hard. You don't have the resources or the lab a lot of times, you know, to like make the beer over and over. I mean, that's, uh, as breweries grow in size and uh, with staff and uh, production, you know, you have to keep up with that. So you, you end up really being super relatable to these bigger brand, like these bigger macro breweries. Cause they're like, well, you know, the, <laughs> whether or not you, you know, you want to spend your money with someone who's gobbling up the uh, retail space like Anheuser Busch. You know that their beer is going to be very consistent, and the fucking scientists and the lab people and production people that work there, are top class. You know, yeah. they're you know what I mean. So like, they know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to pick up a Budweiser. Like, That's Budweiser's off. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's just not going to be a thing. And you know, it's the same fucking way. But yeah, you know, I'd rather spend my money with again at the end of an event are just tooling around town an area that I don't know. I'm going to try a really good fucking local craft beer. I'm not going to go buy a Miller High Life or Banquet beer first. It's just kind of like, I don't know what cool, the cool kids do. They go grab a 12 pack of some bullshit. And it's like, whatever. 
What are what what what's your opinion of the newer trend of pseudo loggers? Pseudo logger. What does that mean? Um, it's <clears throat> basically an ale that has all the lager <laughs> flavor characteristics. I think it's high pressure yeast is how it's produced. So it's not it's not lagered for a long um, for like a lengthier. It, it's <clears throat> Uh, crap! I know I'm gonna get this wrong. I think it's it's high pressure yeast. It's fermented. It's not fermented cold or lagered for a, a, the amount of time, but it still has a lot of the same flavor cl- characteristics of a lager. Maybe pseudo lager, huh? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that sounds like a pseudo lager to me. But why? <laughs> what is called an? Uh, I don't fucking know. I don't know, man. I feel like I'm throwing stones at these glass houses or whatever that saying goes like um yeah i don't know man you know do it brew whatever people want to brew again that's not you're not gonna find me calling something a pseudo lager if i don't make a pseudo lager it's gonna call it a colch trying to see if i can find something that um defines it better than the the rambling that i did it a pretty good definition (laughs) i mean i wouldn't you know but yeah, I mean, I, I would, if I wanted to do something that I thought was going to save me time, I mean, what's the point, right? It's just saving time. So do a Kolsch, you know, maybe shorten your lagering time when you're Kolsch. And uh, I don't know, man, I'm sure there's lots of benefits and reasons that people do them and make that kind of stuff. And, you know, if it sells well and they're proud of it and fucking do it. Um, not for me. Again, uh, if I'm going to do something that is close to a lager, it's not. For whatever reason, I'm gonna real Kolsch, and I love Kolsch, and we make them. A very nice, easy drinking style. Yeah, yeah. Um, was there was there anything else about Little Beer Festival that we didn't cover earlier that you wanted to talk about, or did you hit all the points that uh, um, you'd want to? Then, yeah, so maybe get yeah, a quick take- rundown of some of the breweries you've already announced. Oh, sure, yeah. I'm not going to run down the list real quick. Let's see what we got here. Got them on my notes. Let's see. Um, so, yeah, Little Beer is April 9th. That's a Saturday. The event is from 12 to 5. We'll do a VIP this year from 12 to 1. Uh, VIP ticket is $125. It'll include, you know, a souvenir glass for that. Uh, food is included. Um, and you get access to the VIP tent, plus you get in an hour earlier. And the VIP tent will have stuff like uh, – world-class lamp beer, you know, uh, barley wines, stouts, the typical stuff you would find in VIP um, tents and all that kind of stuff. And then general admission, 65 bucks, um, and you, you're in the event from one to four. Uh, during the event, we'll have um, DJ Black Mozart, who's a great friend of ours. He'll be spinning first. And then we have a, a great band they played for anniversary called Black Line Reggae. So they play super dope uh, reggae music. Um, and then we'll have, uh, some food trucks out here and uh, probably a handful of, um, vendors who act, will act as sponsors. Um, but yeah, I mean, we got a ton of breweries. I'll, I'll name everyone who doesn't have a question mark. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> question marks. have just not confirmed. <clears throat> we talked to them, uh, 1840, uh, second shift success, which is a local brewery here in, in our neighbors, Barik out of Tennessee, Bierstadt, Blackberry Farm Brewery, 
Blue Jacket, Bold Monk, Bond Brothers, Branch and Bone, Creature Conference, Crooked Run, Kushwa, Dancing Gnome, Deciduous, Dove, uh, Divine Barrel, Elsewhere, uh, Finback, Flying Machine, Fox Farm, um, Green Bench, Halfway Crooks, Human Robot, Humble Sea, Jackie O's, KBC Loggerhouse, um, Odd Breed, Resident Culture, Roadmap, Salute Cerveceria, Ronin, uh, Fermentation, uh, Scepter Shilling, The Seed, Thin Man Threes, Three Taverns from Crossing, Trophy, Twin Elephant, Two Tides, Van Hanyan, uh, Vitamin C, Widowmaker, Wheatland Spring, Wooden Robot, Ren House, and Wrecking Bar. And that's not including like the VIP. The VIP will be stuff that I mentioned like Cancion and uh, some Drapontaine and then some really cool uh, beers that we want to showcase. And, and the VIP is sponsored by Liberator, who's a distributor here in uh, Georgia. And they, they hold a lot of those brands. So they're going to bring some real fun stuff for us. So yeah. some absolutely amazing breweries. Yeah. And there's about 10 or so that I didn't mention that I think are going to be in there, but I don't want to say they're coming. Yeah. And if they don't, you know what I mean? Um, so, but yeah. And tickets for that go on sale. It was the 11th, right? February 11th. Yeah. Friday, February 11th via the Osner app. Uh huh. And then also this Friday, I'll pitch this too. Cause we, uh, we make big dark stouts and big barley wines. We're doing uh, our bottle society. It's called Well Oiled Society. And it is a membership only kind of deal. It's 375 bucks. You get 20 bottles. Um, it's basically 10 different bottles uh, released throughout the year. And you get two of each. So that's the 20 bottles. You also get a member only t shirt and a member only glass. Um, and we'll do a party with like buffet style food and a bottle share. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that goes on sale this Friday at noon via Osner. And, uh, we heard from a craft beer and brewing that three of our, our, uh, big beers did really well in their next magazine. I can't, I don't want to say yet cause they asked me to wait, but, um, two of them barrel aged and one was non barrel aged and, and those will all be part of, um, you know, the club. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then next fr- uh, Thursday we're doing an event. I didn't promote it. I sent it to the uh, Georgia Brewers Guild and to the Master Brewers Association as RSVP if, if people hear this and they're in Georgia. But I've got Ron Pattinson, who's a beer historian, and um, Stan Hieronymus, who is obviously a well-known and re- both respected uh, beer writers, will be in-house doing a talk on historic British uh, beers and hops in those beers. And we're also releasing our collab with those guys. I called it No Wooden Shoes, but it's uh, basically a, based on a recipe that Ron found, and I brewed its very specific recipe. It's from uh, 1939 Heineken Donker beer, so a, a brown Dutch lager um, that we brewed in uh, it was a double decoction and naturally carbonated, and then we lagered it for about 10 and a half weeks, and it's a fucking banger, uh, mm-hmm. 3.5%. <laughs> and that'll be out. We'll release that that same day. And we'll have some, we'll have four um, English beers on draft. I mean, we have our full draft uh, lineup, which is about 16, 18 beers all the time. But we'll have a bunch of English beers on draft. And then we'll put a cask of uh, Digital Comfort Zone, which is a that 3.9% best bitter I mentioned earlier. It's really nice. So how, <clears throat> how did you find yourself um, in the world of hype breweries and that being invited to and and having um 
them to your own festival too. Uh, being a brewery that focuses on classic styles because it's kind of like a shill you're very much like shilling in that aspect and i guess wooden robot to an extent too um where you're brewing classic styles not the name not the typical um like hype brewery uh offerings but you are solidly in that world I don't know if we're in that world. I don't. I don't know who is hype. I don't know if hype groups <laughs> are hype. I don't know any. I mean, for real. I, I just. You know, well, I think it's another with, one of those things, kind of like craft. It's almost a meaningless term, but yeah, yeah. you still I, kind I of when yeah, in some ways, yeah. But, it's one of those things like you, like when people are talking about it, it's like, like a certain group of breweries that, um, uh, fit into that that category. But what does that even mean? Um, but right. I would say you were, you were solidly in that crowd. Okay. Well, I appreciate that if that's a compliment, but I mean, I, I guess, guess for it's me, a it's just, <laughs> just, just like the breweries that we've become friends with. You go to a beer festival, you meet people and you hang out and you're like, man, these cool people, you know, like at the end of the day, it's, it's only fucking beer. I mean, I seem to take it seriously because I'm very passionate about it. It's what I do for a living. But like at the end of the day, it's just fucking beer. You know, like yeah. I, I look at that and think about it that way, but um, I don't know. I uh, I don't know, man. We're just a little brew pub in Georgia, in the suburbs of Georgia, um, just trying to make good beer and learn and, and grow and and uh, you know, I don't know. I'll tell you what I do like is when breweries reach out and they want to do English beer and lager beer now instead of just you know hazy beer or whatever. Which again, we still make a lot of that stuff in the hazy beer I put out. I'm pouring as much of myself into those fucking beers as I am the English beer and the lager beer. Like we step mash every single one of our hazy beers. And, um, you know, I, I'm very thoughtful about how we make those. I remember when that Scott Janish book, uh, the new IPA dropped, I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. I'm fucking do this. I don't think people think about us when they think about IPAs, but I think if you have our IPAs, you're like, okay, I get it. You know, like I just want to make, good beer across the board and people are like yeah these guys just don't miss that's all i want you yeah. know like whether it's a fucking on there i almost said pastry lager that's not gonna happen but uh, <laughs> pastry stout which we make those fucking things um are a fruited sour thing that tastes like we you know the, the silliness on the um, a fruited pilsner work never and not in a million years <laughs> i'm telling you I, I love that, and I hope breweries reach out like in a joking but also serious way. Like, hey, good word, you want to do a fruity lager? We're like, uh, <laughs> no, I quit. I quit. Um, so, yeah, I, I, know, um, man, I bought I bought Scott's nice book too. Uh, I still haven't read yeah, it. It's a great book. <laughs> yeah, I have I have both Scott and Mike's books. Uh, they're sitting on my desk at work, um, and I'm lazy and I haven't read them yet. If they came out That's with okay. an audio book version, they have. <laughs> I would, there oh, is, is an there? Audiobook. Okay. Yeah, on Amazon. I, I didn't listen to it yet because I already had bought the thing. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, I don't know. Um I'll be having I'll be having them on again soon, hopefully. Uh who's that? Scott oh, Scott, Scott and Mike. Yeah. Oh cool, yeah. They they nice. were That's I had awesome. them on a couple years ago, but it's been a while since I've talked to those guys, so I reached out. Um I can't remember what month they said they would be able to, but semi soon. I'll be doing another oh, yeah, that's awesome, Sapwood man. episode. Yeah, that's right. Sapwood sellers. We follow those guys on Instagram. Uh, Scott Danish too, of course. Non, um, uh, non surprisingly, they make good beer. Of course. 
course. Yeah. I mean, these guys are clearly passionate. Write a fucking book about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but yeah, fucking beer, man. All right. So I guess I don't get to try any fruited lagers from you. Um, no, not unless what? somebody calls a beer a good word <laughs> and releases it. What is what is a style or something you haven't done yet that you would like to try? Haven't done yet, but would like to try. Oh, I mean, there's a lot of um, loggers that I haven't really gotten into just yet, um, and I've got like a, li- a running list of uh, stuff I find interesting. We brewed a, a beer with a, a brewery called uh, Corporate Ladder, and um, brewed it here. And I was, you know, researching about this Austrian style Meritzen, right? And so from what I read, the Meritzen was like not just, and we didn't call it Meritzen when we brewed, we called it an Austrian style lager. Um, because I knew if I put Meritzen on there, no one was going to buy it after October. So, and they drink and brew this beer year round, but it's a smaller ABV uh, beer that's kind of a mashup of a beer that's got some, you know, color malt and um, a higher hopping rate. So I looked at it like a little fest beer with some, you know, Pilsner type bitterness. And that's how I approached it. And it turned out pretty cool, but that's what I like to do, man, is, you know, do some research. If I can find a commercial example of a beer, I prefer to find it from the home, the land, the, the place that it's supposed to be from. It's just hard because you don't always find that fresh. Um, because it's, you know, when we make beers as craft brewers, we're constantly fighting against this original thing of like, hey, look at me. You know, when craft beer first started, you know, to take over in the 80s and all throughout the 90s and early 2000s, there was this like, bucking of tradition and now that so many brewers are trying to get back to that tradition it's kind of hard to um, get back to that and also be like noticed like you're saying you know you mentioned hype or whatever it's like how do you become noticed in 10,000 breweries uh, for making fucking traditional beers it's very hard to do and I guarantee you there's breweries 10 times better than we are that you've never even fucking heard of and no one's ever heard of and that sucks <laughs> and so I you know, I don't know, find out what you want to brew. Um, I don't know. Stumble across styles. I'm sure I answered that question. Had too much coffee, I think. <laughs> so um, you do a lot of collaborations. What yeah. is one brewery um, that you you have no running plans with or haven't been in contact with that you would love to someday do a collaboration with? No running conversations are with... Uh, we'd love to brew with. Hmm. And that's probably a lot, actually. American breweries? Uh, any brewery. I mean, the first couple of people that come to mind would be like um, Dovetail, uh, Live Oak, um, Jester King, those type breweries for sure. There's a couple of large breweries that I've heard of and uh, I haven't had the beer yet, so. Uh, and a handful of those are coming to Little Beer, so I'm interested to try their beer and and, um, and all that. So, I mean, for me, like, when I think about collaborating, it has to be, like, a multifaceted sort of deal. Like, why do we collaborate? What what makes sense about it? Because, you know, sometimes people reach out and you're like, it just doesn't make sense for us to do a beer. Um, so, first is friendship. If there's a friendship there, no question. You're going to fucking make a beer and hopefully have fun doing it. Um, you know, if you're going into a new market, which good word is so small we don't really have that as a crutch or a reason to to do collabs in that way 
Um, so really it, for me, it's either uh, from friendship or to learn, you know? And so if there's a brewery that I like admire, or look up to, I'm like, sure. I'd like to know how they fucking do this thing. Um, or how they approach beer and all that. Cause you know, while a lot of people are willing to talk about, you know, their process and, and all that kind of stuff, a lot of brewers aren't, you know what I mean? They're a little closed and I get that. Um, so, and, and actually think about lager breweries, man, one that I definitely respect uh, a lot is Notch, those guys. Um, it's funny, Chris, we're Facebook friends, and I've sent him some beer a couple of times. Chris Loring, the head brewer there, mm-hmm. he um, <clears throat> he joked on my Instagram, or no, it was my Facebook. He said something about in a decade when the uh, COVID is over, I'm going to come down there and brew a beer with you. Nice. And I was like, don't you fucking say that. I'm going to hold you to it, Chris. Uh, but he's somebody who like, you know, he's very passionate, uh, about what he does and, you know, make world-class beer, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So he's got a ton to teach and lots I can learn from. So that's how I look at it, man. I'm a fucking student. And I think I'll always be a student of this industry. And, um, I think when I feel like I'm not a student anymore, I'm either not passionate or it's time for me to go away and retire whatever you do when you're done brewing body breaks down or whatever the fuck. <clears throat> um and that's what i i love um th- that aspect of uh the so many pr- different breweries doing collaborations with each other because it seems like when they bring their creativity together the beers <laughs> are just so amazing yeah 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 you know um if it works in that way Right. If there's a, a real collaboration, because, you know, a lot of times it's just like, hey, let's just, you want to make a beer? Yeah, let's make a beer. And there's, it's more based on the friendship. And it's not like it's a whole lot of thought about the beer. Um, we've done those on both ends, whether we're hosting or plotting out. Um, so there's all sorts of ways to do, to do collaborations. You know, I'd, I'm definitely, it depends on what brewery it is where I'll like, you know, fuss and argue over the recipe a little bit or a lot, I guess. Um, I'm not in a dickhead way. It's just like, hey, how far down the rabbit hole are you willing to do this? And we did a collab with a brewery uh, not too long ago, and I was giving them all this advice about how he could do, you know, some different process for his lager beer. And uh, it sounded like the beer didn't turn out the way he wanted, and it, it didn't work out. I don't think it was – actually, I, I feel like I know what, it, what the problem was. I won't say um, – but, you know, it just didn't work out. And I definitely pushed him uh, to do it in a different way. And, you know, he's happy about it in the moment. And then the beer didn't turn out right. So it's kind of a bummer. But anyway. Um, I think uh, we covered everything that I wanted to ask. Is there anything else that uh, Good Word has coming up? Or any tidbits that I missed on that we should talk about before we wrap up? Um, I don't know if there's any tidbits. I just thanks for having me on the show, man. I I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. I I appreciate you uh, giving me your time. You're probably busier than I am. No, I mean I just... that's all relative, right? <laughs> well, I just uh, work on computers and servers every once in a while and talk to people about beer. Uh, so nice. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Um, but I I absolutely enjoyed your beer at the festival um 
I'm about to today to photograph crack into your collaboration with Kushwa. Uh, I haven't had a chance to try that one yet, so I'm excited to try that. Um, And it was it was a pleasure meeting you and talking to you. So once again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Seriously. And thank you, everyone, for uh, listening. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.